Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 42 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Dunkin' Go-Nuts, a.k.a. Dropping Dimes and Nickels. And I'm joined here today by a really dear friend of mine, a real mentor for me in all this podcasting game, Toya G. A.k.a. AKA uh, Khadijah Dance, Yo. aka High Live Your Life at Higher Definition, aka Facts. I'm here on behalf of the Top Up Show. Uh, it's your girl Toya G. Happy to be with y'all. Happy to be in the building. Just feeling good. Um, aka I'm just happy to be here. That's it. Facts, facts. I got an aka for you too, Frank Uzi in the vert. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, you a Chiefs fan, you so we about to get into it today. <sighs> We about to get into it today. Goodness, goodness. So Frank Uzi in the first, my God. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it because I'm dealing with it, but uh, I, I'll save my commentary for that segment. It's all good. I, facts, facts. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to spill some tea on the Rachel Nichols versus Maria Taylor beef at ESPN. We are going to get into our predictions for the AFC West. We are going to give you the fly route for Lonzo Ball now that he's approaching restricted free agency. And last but not least, we are going to give a big baller's bouquet to Allen Robinson of the Chicago Bears. The, 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 the fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tea off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. Today, we got to talk about some ESPN drama. It's been on fire all week long after some controversial statements were leaked to the New York Times by Rachel Nichols in the bubble. You familiar with this? I've been hearing about it, you know, and it's, it's wild. Usually I cover, you know, the athletes that, that get into some nonsense. But every now and again, there are people who are on other parts of the game and other aspects of the game that get caught slipping, get caught doing the most. And so I just appreciate this platform to be able to really pull back some of the layers on this thing and figure out what the heck is going on with Rachel Nichols. What in the world? Facts, facts. So interesting part about the story is it originally broke during the bubble, right? And some of this audio, explicitly the audio that was leaked to the New York Times, was also leaked to Deadspin at that time. And they described this as a gross violation of privacy, refused to disclose any of the details of the conversation or any of the audio that they got. And I will quote this by Deadspin. They said, it's also worth noting that the videos were sent to Deadspin as an attempt to discredit Nichols' job status within ESPN and label her as a phony ally. And they said, big quote, nothing in the videos Deadspin viewed showed Nichols saying anything that could be construed as either a backstabber or a phony ally. Okay, Deadspin. Yes, <laughs> yes. They went hard. hard. They went hard. So 
Now that we talked about Deadspin's, well, spin on this, I'm going to let y'all hear a little bit of this audio real quick so y'all have all the context that you need. They said to me, hey, instead of hosting the NBA Finals, like, why don't you do Doris's silent reporter job for the NBA Finals? Because guess what that would clear the way for? Uh, for, for Maria to do the hosting for Yeah. So, I have declined. I don't know what their next move is, but they are feeling pressure because of all of that. And um, I'm trying to figure out like how to just, you know, my thing is like, I, you know, I wish Maria Taylor all the success in the world. She covers football, she covers basketball. If you need her to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your like crappy long-time record on diversity, which by the way, I myself like know personally from the female side of it, like, Go for it. Just, you know, find it somewhere else. Like, you're not going to find it with me. Okay, facts. She said if you're feeling crappy about your long time, bad, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, go ahead, give her something, but just don't give her my shit, right? That's what Now, look. Oh, talk to me. I just, I, I don't want to, I don't know what direction that you're going in, but I just, they're... This is what is so weird about Dead Spin's take on this because I'm willing. I don't know if I'm willing, but I, under from the perspective of somebody, uh, here's what I'll say: from the perspective of somebody who's not keen on the dog whistles, on the undertones, on the uh, kind of over covert ways that people are, are are saying what they're really not trying to say. Sure, I'll let you play doo doo dumb and crazy about what you just heard or whatever. But to say that it wasn't malicious and backstabby. And it, like, stop it, right? You can play crazy about the, I don't think it was racist. It didn't have any undertones. It didn't, but just do it on somebody. Like, I'm not gonna, you, I'm not going for her. You can do it on somebody else, but not with me. I, I, you, you know, you're being bad. Like all of these, like you're being, and I think Rachel Nichols' biggest issue here is not that she felt how she felt because we have all wanted to be recognized for our uniqueness. We've all wanted to make sure we're cutting the mustard amongst colleagues or peers or whatever in whatever context to make sure we're standing out and sticking out, especially if we had to work hard to do that. So all of that is realistic. Rachel Nichols, which got caught slipping, baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, I still, one of the things I have not figured out about this story is who, uh, whether the recording originated or if she knew it was a hot mic or what was, what she was surrounded by. But some stuff you got to, you got to know when to hold them and to fold them. Some stuff you got to lock into your brain. And if she got caught slipping, it's another sad day um, in the reality of people who live their life in the media. But if not, and you just was getting comfortable and cozy, don't you expose yourself. And that's okay. Exactly. So that's actually really great because it puts me into the first element of the story I want to talk about. And that is the element of privacy, which should privacy, because Nichols was alone in her hotel room, Right. She was in a private conversation with another person, absolve her of the responsibility of the things that she said, because a lot of people are acting like it should. You know, it's rough. And I'm going to be I'm going to be I'm going to be in the gray about this, because on one hand. Right. We were already skeptical about presidents like Donald Trump or people like Donald Trump, for example, and then grab them on the pussy came out. And we was like. Okay. Now we really know, we know the nature of the person we're dealing with, right? 
And it was scoffed off and pushed off as locker room talk. And we said, no, that type of talk is toxic. It's what allows for certain cultures to continue. And there was a whole, you know, a part as a, as a offshoot of me too, but a whole cultural conversation about locker room talk and the very, the different environments that takes place in, you know, people were called to the carpet at that, but for that, and it was an important dialogue and conversation. The part B of that is I, Toy Green on behalf of Toy Green and Associates, you know, <laughs> it, I, I, if I have a reasonable expectation of privacy, which is the same standard of the law, right, in the ways by which our constitutional rights and amendments are being protected, have a reasonable expectation of privacy, then if I had that in, in the room, of, in, in the company of people I felt close to that I could speak freely with, then, huh. but we have the culture of the hot mic, right? It's, it's, a, it's a coin term for a reason. And so that does not necessarily uh, uh, free you from the baggage that comes along with what you said without it being pronounced unto you. So it's rough. Right. I like that because I want to get into this hot mic conversation. So according to the New York Times, she had her camera on because they were using new technology during the pandemic because she was in her quarantine, could not leave her room, but needed to record her daily show, The Jump. So that makes it a hot mic situation which means all the video that's being recorded goes onto the ESPN server where dozens of ESPN employees have access to. And one of them, Kayla Johnson is her name. Yes, it is. Saw the footage, uh -huh. recorded the footage. And it's very important to note, especially when we talk about privacy, is that she records the footage without actually putting the cell phone camera on Rachel Nichols. She has the camera turned to the side, so it's probably just whatever room she's in, mm -hmm. so you can get the audio. None of the visual of what's going on with Rachel. Now, this is this is interesting because recently on the Dan Lebatar show, former ESPN employee Amin Eshan said that that concept might be completely BS, and that all ESPN employees were massively familiar with that style of tech. It's the same tech that they've used for years. And that the server people have the ability to remotely turn on your equipment if it's plugged in. Ooh. Ooh. Whole extra layer to that, ain't it? Right? Ooh. It is because, I mean, I guess, you know, when we talk about other prof professions, we talk about just kind of the standard of excellence and the standard of on pointness you kind of have to be on. And, and I want to feel... I don't want to feel sorry for her because I feel like what she said was an attempt to undercut another black woman or a black woman trying to come up and handle her business. And so I'll never take kindly to that. But I do and am sympathetic to being in a potential setup. Now, I don't know if anybody has a vendetta out on Rachel Nichols. I'm trying to figure out because it's one thing for, for Kayla to have that information. But what, what, what did you do to Kayla? Why would Kayla feel like it was important to blow the whistle on this type of situation? Why would Kayla feel like what was probably a one-off situation or we hope would be a one-off situation. Why does she feel like that was, it was necessary to expose? Like to me, the only people who get done like that in the face of saying something a little tricky, doing something a little tricky on the job is people who you already wore out and pissed off somebody. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. people who are already kind of looking at you, they feel a type of way. And they just wait, they're just waiting on you to, 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 to make a wrong step or make a wrong move. And so I'm not turning this on Kayla and saying she must've had a vendetta, but you start to wonder about the, 
presence that you have, the feelings you start to evoke amongst your colleagues, the vibes you start to set, if there was a visceral reaction to you saying that out loud, because people maybe already felt that you were being overly protective over the diversity that you felt like you had access to or that you had claim over, or you felt like you was being pushed out. Maybe people sensed that your, your mood and your vibe was already shifting because of changes that were happening on the home front. We don't know these things, but people don't just get jazzy and get froggy with you out of the blue. For no reason. Come on. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, I just, I don't see it. And so in that world, I think Rachel Nichols, bottom line, spoke her heart, said what she felt, probably called herself sugarcoating it. If I dare to believe, she called herself sugarcoating what she said and she still got slipping. And that's the tragedy in it all is that your job, and I'll, I'll end where I started, is that your job, based on the nature of the field you win, means you have to be on the ball 10 out of 10 times. You can't even afford to have a leisurely statement off the record. Don't exist. It, that, that's fact. So we don't know if it was a hot mic, if it was turned on. We don't even know if Kayla was the person that could have turned it on. We just know that the video was to a place that a lot of people had access to it and she saw it and she felt it was messed up. So that's the impact. She's like, okay, so you're saying Taylor's not deserving of what she gets, that she's not qualified, etc. Right? It is a whole different thing of being like, I'm pissed off that they are taking something away from me and then being like, she's only getting it because she's black and that shit is hot right now. It's that discrediting of her that's messed up. And that brings me to one of the more troubling parts of this video that I think is getting way too overlooked. She is talking with a person named Adam Mendelson. Mm -hmm. And he's a LeBron James spokesperson for a very long time. And the part that really messes with me here is that he goes on to say, I am exhausted and sick of the Me Too and Black Lives Matters movement. And homegirl cackles. Mm-hmm. Cackles. Yeah. Hold on. Don't worry. We always do receipts on the fly route pod. So I got y'all. So. Think about it like that. That's what bothers me because she don't seem uncomfortable laughing in that situation. She don't check him. She's like, yo, how do you think you can be an ally to women, black women, or black people at all if you hear that statement and your response is to cackle? Yeah. We don't believe you anymore. That really bothered me. We don't believe you. And I think that... You know, all of these ancillary things, right? These secondary and tertiary things that people aren't, because what she said, well, okay, I'm a communication scholar. As a matter of fact, by training, I'm a rhetorician. We are trained to look at a bunch of different things like the exigence. What is the event? What is the stream of events that is causing this moment to be important? Well, like you just did, you contextualize it in the terms of Me Too. It's already been, well, you didn't even have to do it. The person in the conversation has contextualized for us the reason why this is such a big deal and why her comments are so crazy because we are in the middle of Me Too. We are in the middle of Black Lives Matter. Intersectionality does exist. And what he did unknowingly was tapped on two parts of the intersecting identity of uh, 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 Shorty, who's who's about to get the opportunity to uh, do the finals, right? My Facts. Exactly. And so with that, Right. You don't even realize that you set the stage for every single thing you say to be wrapped up, tangled up and tied up in the implication of those movements. 
So when you say it's just not going to be with me, Rachel Nichols, you can do all that diversity stuff that you want to do. It's not going to be with me. Got it. So that means you have opted out of the importance of you are about self-preservation. You will not care about those movements. You only care about them insofar as they keep you in front of a camera and keep your money coming in. You want to laugh and scoff at your organization's failed attempts at diversity. But let's talk about your track record. Who have you brought in? What attempts have you made to 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 to, to shatter? I mean, it, it sucks that you are both trying to break through a glass ceiling and have to shatter it at the same time. But on behalf of black women, welcome to the challenge. Welcome to the hard Yo, part. Okay. Talk that shit. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I just, I, when I look at her, it, it, it's sad because, again, I, I use the term dog whistles at the beginning of this. And it's because you don't even realize you're throwing them out there for people to latch onto them. Your little buddy you yuck yucking with caught on to it. Just like y'all tapped into what each other was saying. So much was said without having to say too much at all. Such large facts. So that's bad. But for me, the worst part of this story isn't what she said, but the way the ESPN handles the issue afterwards. And according to Amin and Jamel Hill, this is a consistent and systemic issue at ESPN. Mm -hmm. So the only person that was punished was Kayla Johnson, the video producer who disseminated the video. She was suspended for two weeks without pay and then was demoted task-wise Basically, until the point where she quit and moved on. And it's wild because New York Times has excerpts of emails between Maria Taylor and ESPN HR, and they are super telling to me. And here's a big quote to me. She says, I would not call myself a victim, but I have certainly felt victimized. And I do not feel as though my complaints have been taken seriously. In fact, the first time that I heard from HR after two incidents of racial insensitivity was to ask if I was the one that leaked Rachel's tape to the media. Come on now. Yes. Come on now. Yes. Come on. Yes. And through all this, she's being a huge trooper. She's still doing her job, going to work every day doing NBA countdown and she was like look I got one condition to do NBA countdown I just don't want to have to interact with Rachel Nichols reasonable request Completely. like it's pretty clear that she had an issue with you and she was willing to tell people that are extremely influential in your industry that you're just a diversity hire mm -hmm. and this is what she had to say according to six people who have spoken to her ESPN executives agreed to the stipulation, but violated it almost immediately by allowing Nichols to make short appearances on the show without physically interacting with Maria Taylor. So basically, they were like, yo, Rachel, pre-record these things. We're going to drop it in like you there and y'all Maria fucking with each other. But it's not really there. So it looks like it's live the whole time. Optics. Optics. And you see how that optics might be weird for Maria Taylor because everybody all across ESPN knows what's up and what's going on. And they looking at you and they looking at Rachel Nichols and like y'all buddy buddy on TV. And I, this is all because Maria Taylor existed and did her job well. I think that's the part that pisses me mm -hmm. off. She didn't say Kayla. Somebody talking reckless about me, make sure you flag that clip. Let it let your girl know so I can go ahead and handle it. She didn't say Rachel. You know, I heard you been no. 
Rachel Nichols got cross with it. Maria Taylor was doing her job and doing it at the pinnacle of it and really making a name and a lane for herself and handling business and was headed in the trajectory of being able to be on a platform like the NBA Finals. And it just so happened that the stars aligned for the truth to be exposed and the person who is benefiting the least and being affected the most is Maria Taylor, who in the beginning was doing her job. It's wild. Facts. Now, the funniest part about this is in two weeks, Maria Taylor's ESPN contract is over. And I imagine... That after putting someone through all this BS, who now has a large fan base, following, and is well-established in the industry and damn good at her job, you better cash her out. That's the bag. And now... I'm not, not, not only that, but I like to remind the media that, look, it's people out here creating their own lanes and they own, they're no longer you know, dependent on large major media platforms in order to drive and galvanize their fan base or at least make a bag. So Maria Taylor is able to kind of go and take not only opportunities from other networks, but also fool around as just a black woman who is trailblazing in, you know, sports journalism and go do her own. Like you got to stop playing with these people because the doors are wide open and consuming things like podcasts, consuming things like online, you know, digital media from everything from YouTube, but you are really, Playing games with somebody who knows they worth. Don't do that. Facts. And there's like an active smear campaign going on where people are leaking things saying she's asking for Stephen A. Smith money to stay with the company. Mm -hmm. And the first thing I have to say is, if she is, good. Right. Because know your worth. And if they going to treat you the way they've treated you, they got to give you the bag to make sure you stay. Right? Like, at, at this point, I'm like, yo, if this is how y'all want to handle your HR issues, but y'all want me to stay with you, cut the chat. And, you know, let's not act like you don't already have a history uh, here because Jamil Hill is a great example of how y'all treat black women mm-hmm. when the rubber starts to meet the road. So let's show again how y'all will become a revolving door for us when we are literally some of the best talent that y'all have on y'all little funky network to begin with. It's time to show them back. Facts. Now, I will say this, like, there's been one functional form of punishment here, but that's only because the story broke and became huge. So ESPN has actually taken Rachel Nichols off the sideline reporting job for the NBA Finals again this year because they were like, it's a distraction and we want the focus to be on the finals, not on Rachel Nichols. Exactly. And it's going to be interesting to see how a majority black league starts to interact with her now that this is out there. It'll be last thing I want to touch on. Yeah. Last thing I want to touch on is the apology. She went on the jump. She did the good 10 second. Oh, I take full responsibility for my actions. Mm-hmm. I'm really sorry to Maria and anybody else I ever hurt. And then the camera pans to Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson, who go full out three minutes, the black defenders of her, you know, her character and all their experience with her. And I'm like, come on, cuz. Can we not? For real? I get that it's your job. And I get the, like, producer probably hit you with that wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The show must go on, but it hurt to see that shit. It's, I, it really did. The, the caping, you know what I'm saying? It, it's at an all-time high. 
Um, if you didn't see it live on there, you was gonna see it all through your Twitter th- Twitter threads and everywhere else because everybody is just Rachel Rachel Nichols sympathizers. Everybody's blowing everything out of proportion. Proportion. Everybody's too sensitive now. Everybody is whatever, and everybody's like that until. Uh, it's not enough space for your old diverse ass. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like that until people start mm-hmm. being like, "Why y'all start hiring so many black people here? Why is it so many?" That's it. And those are the back the the, the water cooler conversations, the, the conversations people have on Saturday nights when they didn't invite you to go out and play pool after y'all got off, and and then you start wondering, you know what I'm saying? Why does it become such a big deal? So of course you have people running and like I said, caving and trying to save her or whatever. But that's because you know. Let's let's not get into the resumes and part. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna talk bad about these people because they talk bad about her. What I, I mean, because they defend her. What I will say is typical, predictable, typical facts. I'm fucking with that. I like that. And that was your tee off. Ooh, 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 spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, sis. What's up, Playboy? All right, all right, all right. Let's get into the AFC West. We're going to give you our predictions for all the teams, how they're going to do in the regular season. I got Toya with me because she's a huge, huge, huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah, I'm trying to look for it. Usually I have my Chiefs cup in here. I got a whole Chiefs little scoreboard clock, but I moved it to the other room because it's got a speaker on it. I need it to be jamming somewhere else. But trust me, Kansas City stand up. We in this thing. Facts, facts. So we will start with the best for first, the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm going to start us off here a little bit. Whew, I think the Chiefs might go 15 and 2. <laughs> I got how, I gotta I, give how them ironic. How ironic. I'll go ahead and let you know. So do I. Look, they're they a monster team. I think they got better again. Like, they lost some receiver talent, but, like, their, like, second-string receivers were putting up numbers, too. We're good. We're good. <laughs> like. I just, I really, so you know, I like this. It's, it's, it sucks that uh, we lost Sammy Watkins. I'm actually a fan of Sammy's play. Um, I think he has a nice motor. He's been committed to the unit. And regardless of injury, being out, whatever, whatever, he's always come back and been reliable with. But with him moving out and, um. Your boy, uh, Miko, kind of sliding into, into that position now is a nice rely. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Miko. I ain't going to lie. You know what I'm saying? I think he has. He nice. He, you know what I'm saying? He is. He, he has, I think, the more comparable uh, speed to Tyreek. I think he is the, the the player that has been a part of more memorable big moments for us and been a part of a lot more clutch plays. And I think he got the heart, you know what I'm saying, of the city behind him just on behalf of somebody who's been seeing him interact with the town and with the city. Not to say Sammy didn't have love, but he definitely did. And then on top of that, you know what I'm saying, like let's not forget one name that I think, you know, was louder, but because he was a rookie and was still transitioning or whatever and had some stuff move around, we had to figure out. But Clyde Edwards Elaire is in the building, baby. And so just it's it, typical of the Kansas City Chief offense, next man up kind of mindset and mentality. I think we we looking long and strong right there in that wide receiver position for real. Facts. I have the only two losses I have them taking, and I'm going to say it's week one to the Browns and week five to the Bills. And I think week one is actually the most vulnerable Kansas City will be all year long. They got a brand new O-line. They basically rebuilt the whole thing. They got Joe Tooney. 
from the Pats. They got Orlando Brown from the Ravens that let tackle. They brought in Kyle Long, a former Bear, to play guard. And week one is going to be interesting because Kyle Long got hurt during OTA's camp. So he's either just going to be fresh back, not fully conditioned, or you'll have a backup in there. And you're going to deal with what might be the best defensive line in the NFL with the Browns that week. This is, I think. No, my bad. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, I know we're talking about the O line, and I'm optimistic, though, right? We got some new pieces, but we're getting uh, DeBarnay Tardif back, right? I think if he's able to kind of readjust and get back and find his, his swag, we're going to be feeling good. And then Chris Jones is still. You know the anchor of that unit. He moved. Did he move sides from like the 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 right, the left to the right, or something like that? Like he had right tackle now. Yes. Um, Orlando Brown was like, I have to play left tackle. That's why he got out of um, Baltimore. He's like, I must be a left tackle. I think his dad was. So he's like, I'm a left tackle. Absolutely, but that's the leadership though that we see is like, all right, come on in, do what makes you feel comfortable. We gotta slide over here and go ahead and just be the functional unit that we know we can be. And so that's what's looking good, but. You were talking about the Browns defense, which ain't no push arounds either. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, my bad. Back to the Browns. You good. You good. <laughs> I, that, I think that's just going to be the time. It's going to take the O-line some time to gel, just new faces. That's all about, like, just coordination and reps and just, like, being on the same page. So, I think, yeah. like, that's the scariest part is that O-line is only going to get better as the season goes on as long as they're healthy. And the Bills, I just think, are sneaky good. Like the Emmanuel Sanders signing went so under the radar. He's going to be a great compliment to Stephon Diggs. Their defense was already good. But absent injuries, I feel like the Chiefs are going to steamroll the entire league once again. We knocking on wood. I think that's my biggest concern, right? I think we have the best big three in football um, in terms of Kelsey in terms of Tyreek, who I feel like for whatever reason is slid out of the great graces of a lot of people ranking, um, you know, people in his position, a lot of different, like, he, I, th- I think he just kind of got slept on. But I think that's because it's, it's the the trade-off you have when it's a everybody can eat type of team is that, you know, I think the touches the t- touches were there, but, um, you know, some of the, I, I just, I don't know. Like, it's hard to explain why he, he stopped getting as much respect and as much shine, but I think, them alongside Patty is just about to be a great situation and a beautiful, a beautiful reckoning that we're familiar with as long as they can stay healthy. I agree. I think people overrate his speed, even though it's hard to do that, but underrate his skill and technique, which makes people feel like other receivers are just better because they feel like they're more technically proficient. Yeah. When like the leaps and bounds Hill has taken over the years from being a return dude is like massively underrated. I mean, and you know, the attention span of, you know, fans and people who take in this type of thing is short. So when you get, you know, it's overshadowed by off the field issues and backflips and running up into the stands and grabbing the camera, you really don't have a lot of people sitting there dissecting this game and giving it a lot of the credibility that it probably should have. But the real ones know. Real Chiefs fans know, baby. We locked in and, and Tyreek is a huge part of the train that is keeping us moving. Facts, facts. All right, so we'll move down to the Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders. I, how you feeling about them? Raiders are trash, bro. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're poop. And I think they're only going to be um, 
slightly better than they were this year, but um, I've never been uh, convinced by Derek Carr. I've never believed that man is a player. I think he has always played poorly against the Chiefs in particular, but um, looking, he, he has high points, but I feel like, you know, even moving into that beautiful new stadium, they, they are terrible playing at home. I think they had like a four, five game home losing streak or something at the end of the season on um, by the time they got done last yes, year. And yes. so in terms of just, I, I just don't believe Derek Carr. And I also, if I'm not mistaken, they have a, a mega difficult schedule. If I'm not, uh, if, or at least a reasonably difficult tough. schedule. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. It is tough. Like they play the Ravens, the Steelers, they first. obviously like, yeah, they play the division, which has like the Chargers and the Chiefs in it twice. They'll play like the football team, the like the Browns, like they have a quite difficult schedule. So I have them being like eight and nine, maybe a seven win team, middle of the pack. This team will have similar weaknesses to last year. They aren't going to get any stops. They can't play defense really yeah. well, but they'll have a relatively high-powered offense, even though they lost their speed guy sure. with Nelson Aguilar going to the Patriots. And I, I just think it's going to be kind of difficult for them. I feel like they'll take an L to the Ravens, the Steelers, the Chargers in week four and 18, the Bears, the Chiefs twice, twice. obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And the Washington football team and the Browns. So they they need to get into shootouts to win games. And even then, I feel like they might be less big play potential than they were last year. But now they have two very good running backs. So we'll see if that changes how they try to control the clock, control games. It's just... They're going to play a lot of teams that can put points up on the board. And I don't see where they get their stops from. So it's going to be difficult. Agreed. I think, I mean, everything you said has been right on the nose for me. I think I gave them an extra game over you. So I had them at seven and okay. 10. Um, but that's only because I feel like they can maybe, um, you know, get in the mix in the division, definitely take a game from. The Broncos maybe take an early game from the Chargers as, um, you know, that offense starts to figure itself and figure, figure some things out. Because, I mean, again, Derek Carr is trash, but he is always trash against the Chiefs. And I've seen him have some decent games. He goes. He ends up being, I think, a very streaky player. And he ends up playing some of his best football these last couple seasons toward the end of the season when it's just been largely irrelevant. So, yeah. if he can He's kick like it off. like the J.R. Smith of quarterbacks. Very much. <laughs> yeah. Very much. Very much, but if they can start to suture some of those things together, and like you said, use some of their receivers a little bit more effectively earlier on, they might have um, a chance. But like I said, just to win one extra game, and so I'm not giving them a whole lot. Yeah. The, the next team is the Broncos for me. I think they're going to be last in the division. Again. They're a tough team to embrace. I have them at like five or six wins. And, like, I feel like it's easy to underestimate this team, but two things that are important to me is I am one going to assume they're not getting Aaron Rodgers because if they do, that flips everything. It does. Yeah, like th that man is the system. And the second one is like, who is your quarterback? It's murky. Like you got Teddy Bridgewater. I, I like Teddy Bridgewater, mm -hmm. but he has some clear limitations. And then Drew Locke, who just hasn't been able to take the jump that, you know, they want him to. So assuming Teddy Bridgewater is a person that starts for them, gives them steady play, 
and allows them to play complementary football, this team can exceed expectations because it's odd how talented they are Mm -hmm. everywhere but quarterback. Absolutely. Right? They got massively good offense, Noah Fant, a tight end, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton at wide receiver, Melvin Gordon at running back. Like, those are stacked skill positions. I mean, even and that's even after yeah. losing Philip Lindsay. You know what I'm saying? They still have, yes. I think, something something to say in turn on the offensive side. But, I mean, like, if the person delivering you the ball is not going to be the person to really be consistent, or better yet, because Teddy Bridgewater, I think, probably has the ability to stabilize some things. But, uh, 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 Drew Locke is being questioned as even as even being a starting level quarterback. Like he has been very, mm-hmm. he has been very skeptical and made a lot of people very skeptical about his talent on that level. And so, I think what becomes weird is you have all of these great offensive players, but you have a system that is so undetermined. I know they're gonna try to split up some of their playing time because if y'all ain't figured it out by now, in the preseason start next month, y'all about to be trying to sample and see. I can see a world where. They set the tone. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I can see a world where they try to get out there and eat and really test out what they got in Teddy Bridgewater and see if it's time to go ahead and cut their losses with Drew Locke and, you know, let him start the season. But I can also see a season where they try not to slight the young man, trying to see if he still got something in his tank to see if some of these other moves that they've done in their coaching and then, um, you know, some of their front office leadership and have some of the talent that's been brought in, see if that starts to influence some things. And then if not, then say, okay, Teddy, come on up, just like we thought. But yeah, I agree. I agree. Right now, ESPN says that the depth chart has Drew Locke as the QB1. Mm. So I, I feel like they might overachieve with Teddy from the beginning because Teddy is less prone to turnovers. He's more careful with the ball, allows them to play into a strong defense. Like, their corners are crazy. crazy. They drafted Patrick Sertain, mm-hmm. who was a top-two corner in this draft. They got Kyle Fuller from the bears who was like top three in the league and deflected passes like obviously von miller bradley chubb up front those dudes are well established like if you're in a situation where you can take control take control of games time wise be careful with the ball they could win a lot more games but right now i'll put them down for beating the jags the jets the lions the Bengals, and the eagles for sure then like if things go well, they might be able to grab a game from the Giants or the Cowboys or the Raiders. Or maybe a or hobble, like maybe a hobble Steelers team or something like that. We'll see. Yeah. If you get the Steelers late. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a thing. So it, this is a weird team. I agree. It's a weird team. There's a lot of potential here. It just feels difficult to I wouldn't feel confident putting my money on them. That's what I'll say. <laughs> it's it's gotta be last. Rough. To be a Broncos. Nah, my bad. I was about to say it's got to be rough to be a Broncos no. fan because okay. of, of the uncertainty um, that's been at the quarterback position for a while now. Because, I mean, you're like, oh, we got Drew Locke. But you're like, oh, we got Drew Locke. What are you? What, <laughs> what's good, right? You want to and you want to invest in young talent and be excited about that. But you got Drew Luck. But then also you lost the leader of your defense when Von Miller got hurt uh, last season or whatever. So that took you. It messed up your schedule in terms of getting a team, a cohesive team that moves forward where you can really see if you're going to win or lose your games on offense or defense. Like, everything was just off calibration. You know what I'm saying? And so, it, 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 they are, like you just – I was just agreeing that they are an interesting team to watch because they could I, – I will, I will say they could overachieve. 
I think they are a team that has a possibility of maybe surprising people. And by surprising people, I got them at six and eleven. They might bump up and win another game or two if you can get, you know, some 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 connection and cohesion on that offensive line. But it's just not looking likely based on how they got their pieces moving around right now. Facts. I I think we're in the same place on this. That brings us to I think the most exciting team in the division because I don't think the Chiefs are exciting because at this point we know what to expect. We've seen this story a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't right? know about you. I don't know about you if you've ever seen Patrick Mahomes throw a football, but I'm still excited. <laughs> uh, so you I, speak for yourself. They're exciting to watch, <laughs> but not predict. True, true. Right? True. Like, we know what y'all going to do. <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting all my life to have that team where it's just like, well, you know, the Chiefs. So then let's talk about some other people real quick. Like, I've been waiting my whole life. You don't understand. Mm, I, look, I, I'm still waiting for that for the Bears. Understood. Shout out to the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. I got the Chargers going 11-6. and six, And I really like this team. I think they should be quite dominant. I have them losing to the Chiefs twice. The Browns, the Ravens, the Patriots, and the Steelers. Because they get the Steelers early. Mm-hmm. And, like, looking at this roster, man. It's cute. Ooh, it's cute. LA Ooh, football. Like, LA football is coming back. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I like. It's kind of crazy because I think they have a really underrated offensive, just total package. Mm-hmm. Keenan Allen is one of the most underrated wide receivers in the league. Hate playing Austin Eckler is a crazy dual threat. Like his name should come up where you, Alvin Kamara's name comes Absolutely. up. In my personal opinion, like. They got Mike Williams, who's an excellent deep threat. They added Jared Cook, who should be a great safety blanket at the tight end spot. After, although, like, they lost Hunter Henry, who I would say is a better tight end. He is. But still, this is the the Chiefs rebuilt their whole O-line, and all we could do was talk about it because we saw how bad it was in the Super Bowl. The Chargers low-key did the same thing, right? They got Rashawn Slater who I think was arguably the second or third best offensive lineman in this draft. Mm-hmm. They got Corey Lindsley from Green Bay, yep. who was pro football focuses, highest rated center of last season. They spent the bag. Yeah. They got <laughs> Brian Beluga at right tackle. They were like, yo, Let's this kid is kind of, <laughs> he's he, he the truth. And look, the song says Jesus be a fence all around me every day. They said, okay, Justin Herbert, you, you got the hair. You got the, well, did he cut his, I think he cut his hair off. You used to have the, the Jesus hair. <laughs> he did, he did. You used to have the Jesus life. We're going to put a fence around you, all right. And they started to figure some things out. I definitely, the Chargers have consistently been our most interesting threat. Um, you know, the only kind of, you. I told you, I'm not scared of nobody's Derek Carr. So when you had um, Philip Rivers out there, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It was like, which version of the old man we going to get? You know, we know you got 10 kids, so you got the strength. You got the heart. <laughs> uh, I think he got like 14. He got a whole. So we know you got some staying power. You know what I'm saying? But really, yes. you know, he got an arm on him. He can definitely get him down the field. Um, and like you said, a whole lot of uh, Eckler. Uh, who else? Uh, you said another player, a couple, another couple of players who have always given us fits. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So to know that that change of leadership was so kind of seamless a little bit for them last season and it did start the season it started to become concerning in terms of what they're going to be capable of i this is a team that i think could take a huge leap forward i think 11 wins is like a safe bet like if they put the 
over under at 10-5, I'd take the over like every time for this team. Yeah. As long as Staley is a good coach, which I think he should be, this should go fantastically because with all the complaints that they had last year with their coach, they still did really well. So I'm excited to see Justin Herbert's next season. I think the AFC West is going to be like electric yeah. with these two teams, yeah. the Chargers and the Chiefs going at it. The Chiefs will still win the division in my estimate, and I think they'll win it by a couple of games. But the Chargers will be there. The Chiefs won't be able to take like you know the last four or five games off. The Chargers are going to be nipping at the heels. They will. So I mean, they they, be... they they will be playoff bound. I'm partic- I'm pretty sure, and I think they might be able to last, you know, a wild card game or a round or so, right? So, yeah, I, I, that is a team that I have to give their due diligence to. For the last three seasons since Patrick kind of took the reins, I've been able to scoff, you know, at all the teams. By the way, on behalf of Kansas City fans, this is how we the order of hate that we have for these teams, right? You hate the Raiders more than anything, right? You get them out of here, they're terrible. Then you hate the Broncos. That's mid-grade hate because they're just a state. It's just a state between y'all. So you're going to see some blue and orange jerseys around. It is what it is. And then you get to the Chargers who are like always benign, always kind of like they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to give us a run for our money, but we don't hate them too bad. But I think they might be about to start to piss us off a little bit. <laughs> okay. They, I, I like to hear that. They could be. I mean, and I just honestly, because of, I think, everything that we talked about with Justin Herbert, I do have, um, you know, a lot of faith in him that to give us, to give the Chiefs some hell. Um, maybe not the Chiefs some hell, you know what I'm saying? We're going to eat, but. Some other teams that will make it interesting to see who makes it out of the division on top. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think it's going to be an excellent division. I'm super looking forward to it. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right. We're going to get into the fly route this week. Lonzo Ball, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo Ball. I'm like out here with my Magic 8 Ball wishing for Lonzo Ball. I can't even front. So I got to give you my first option. And I'm a little bit of a homer here. But I'm telling you, I'm doing voodoo circles, prayers, a rain (laughs) dance that Lonzo Ball ends up in Chicago. I, I want him with the Chicago Bulls so bad. So bad. Look. Lonzo gives us everything we don't have right now. The first thing we need is a consistent playmaker. Mm-hmm. Someone that makes plays, runs the offense, takes some of that pressure off Zach Levine. That is Lonzo's strongest like benefit, skill, etc. He runs an offense. He's great in the full court, half court, sets people up. And the second is we really need a defensive-focused guard who can lock down the other best guard on the other team. Zach Levine is a great player. Defense isn't his calling card. It's not like he's terrible. But Lonzo, since day one in the league, before the shot was falling, when people were hating, was always good on defense. So those two things are huge. Yes. And he also... Took a massive stride in shooting the ball last year. Like, massive stride, reworked his shot, is getting it off, add some spacing to this Bulls team. I feel like a big three of Ball, Levine, and Vukovic actually makes us, like, reel in the East, into the playoffs again, doing well. Like, oh, I can't tell you how hard 
I want to see Lonzo Ball next to Zach Levine. So we all know Zach Levine's an instant bucket every time. We also knew Devin Booker was an instant bucket all the time. That you put someone that gets people their shots and sets them up like CP3 next to Devin Booker and man hit a second stratosphere. Absolutely. Right? I'm not saying Lonzo CP3, but I'm saying when was the last time ever in the NBA that Zach Levine in his prime played next to a playmaker the level of Lonzo Ball? That's all he been missing. I'm telling you, I think it's look, match made in heaven. Cash the man out, whatever it takes. I'm well, okay, don't give him the max. I'm not crazy, but you know, make it a little bit too rich for New Orleans blood. You know, it, AK, it has to happen. True. All right, so, so Toya, I want to hear what you think. The fly route, where would you like to see Lonzo Ball next year? Okay. So it's interesting that you have your allegiances because I have mine, right? You are, you know, a uh, uh, heavy-handed, cold-blooded, just deep-seated Bulls fan, and I respect that. And you know I got nothing but love for my Celtics. And that is where I think Lonzo Ball should, should pull up, right? We are in desperate need Ooh. of, um, A, a person for a lot of the same reasons, somebody with some defensive dexterity to really bring back the tried-and-true Celtics knit and grit basketball, especially in terms of just having, um, you know what I'm saying, a backcourt that can really facilitate a strong front. I feel like uh, Marcus Smart is a great guy, but he there he's not scaring people as much as he used to. I feel like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, a lot of the younger players that we brought in um, at, at the point guard and shooting guard position are attempting to kind of fall into line and tradition, but there's been nobody really rising to the level of holding it down with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Kimball Walker was, you know, it was nice to have you. Um, I feel like, you know, you probably had some strong relationships, built some strong relationships in that locker room. So I'm happy that that at least could be, you know, a, a healthy part of your departure, but you wasn't it. And so we have been searching for some type of just real response on a, in the point guard position since we lost Rajon Rondo. You know what I'm saying? We had Isaiah Thomas and we shit the bed with that. We had um, and didn't treat him the way he should have been treated and he gone. And we turned around and had Kyrie. Right. Y'all know how he went, and I was happy to see him go, hey, 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 no, 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 goodbye. Um, and then <laughs> we are looking ourselves in the face of another departure with, with Kimba. And so, you know, we are trying to get some top-level, you know, high-quality assists, high-quality defensive representation from the point guard position. I don't think we need to try to be homegrown. I think we still got some life in us to, to go after another Western Conference final push. That's going to come from Alonzo Ball, who has been in a mature locker room and been beat up by LeBron James, that slid down and had to be the mature states person and sit next to Zion and figure out some stuff, and is now in a position to work, I think, next to uh, next to uh, uh, Jalen and next to Jason and under the tutelage of players like who just came back? Horford. Uh, who? Horford. Yeah, Al Horford, right? He needs to be sitting up under some, thank you, my mom be going, but under the tutelage of, of leadership players like that who can really round out a solid locker room for experience for him, and he can mutually elevate that team. So that's my choice. Yep, facts, facts. Look, I'm not going to lie. As far as, like, Lonzo being, on like, a winner and, like, contending, th that's significantly better for Lonzo Ball than my second option. Like, it's not even close. It's not even close. Like, I didn't think about the Celtics, but if you thought, like, 
having someone like a Zach Levine next to Lonzo and getting set up. Imagine someone like Jason Tatum. Come on now. Come on now. Like, like, I, I got love for Zach Levine, Zach Levine, and he deserves a better supporting cast than he has gotten over the past, I think, few seasons at this point. I think the front office is kind of playing games with the 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 maturation of even that young squad and that, that kind of core and missing opportunities to go out there and be a little more ambitious um, in terms of, you know, free agency and stuff like that. That's why they fired everybody, though. Like, the new dude, he took swings. He got his boofajick. Mm -hmm. Got him in, mm -hmm. another all-star. But, like, that was the only time that we had someone of that caliber next to Zach Levine. And that was, like, after the trade deadline, right? So, like, I feel like we should take another big swing. They want to keep Levine. We don't want to lose him. Like, but, ooh, I, the Celtics is kind of hot. I, I think, you know, like you said, if you want a contender, if you want an opportunity to be in the mix, and I think if you want to be elevated as a player, as you – continue to make your journey through the league, even if you don't stay for a long time. It's a good place to stop through, and it'll bring us back. I think it maybe contribute to bringing us back to a more holistic squad, the type of holistic squad we can be without the – I just – Kyrie left such a bad taste in my mouth. I kind of want a mid-tier, kind of non – have not yet arrived point guard. I feel like Kimball was humble enough, but he stayed hurt. I don't think he contributed enough. I don't think he definitely didn't have the uh, defensive prowess to keep us in games, and so you just ended up – I hate to say it, but being dead weight on the floor a lot of times, you cannot score eight points and 12 points on nights where Jason or Jalen or both of them are struggling and be a leader of this team. You know what I'm saying? It just mm -hmm. don't work like that. And so I think if we give somebody who is allowing and will continue to allow Jason and Jaden to mature in, in the, the, the direction that they are, will continue to, you know, develop the skills and talents of Robert Williams and develop the talents of whoever the hell. We still figuring out a lot of stuff at, you know, the the, the form of opposition. But we as we sort some of that stuff out, just a ball distributor, a defender, and somebody there to still learn and, and, and develop is what we need on the Celtics right now. Lots are about to catch a bag because I also thought about the Knicks because they obviously need a star point guard there. True, true. But they don't even, like, Look, they don't – I don't think they hit the way the Celtics hit. So I'm going to give you all this option. And this option is a little bit of a hypothetical because it assumes that you think the 76ers trade Ben Simmons. And if they do, the packages that we've been hearing, it's hard to figure out who is the point guard talent that they get back. And I think if you trade Ben – for some core pieces, maybe a guy that plays like the two that can be strong, mm -hmm. pushing set to the second unit, you know, or the three, because your four and five is really set, yeah. right? Tobias and Embiid, you can then sign Alonzo Ball with the savings that you get for moving that Ben Simmons contract. Now, that? Lonzo will shoot. Lonzo shoots well. Yeah. And Lonzo gives you that, like, defensive presence, playmaking presence, able to find plays mm -hmm. in transition that you got with Ben Simmons. Now, he might not defend as well as Ben Simmons or, you know, playmake as well as Ben Simmons, although I think the second part of those is actually quite questionable. Mm -hmm. But he will shoot. And space, especially for Embiid, in a way that is 
way better for the overall construction of that team. And I think, ooh, ooh, they, like, I thought Philly was going to come out the East with that current construction of team that they had this year. I was obviously proven wrong, <laughs> but at all. <laughs> Look, I ain't afraid to say I was wrong, but, like, at Alonzo to that team? That would be that would be big nice. I just worry that they're not going to get rid of uh get rid of Mans. Um Ben. Ben. I think Ben Simmons is gonna end up staying because they are dealing with a, a morale kind of quandary right now, right? You got the uh you got the Doc Rivers comments about, you know, whether or not he's able to show up and handle business and he had to walk those back and clarify them. And so it's 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 kind of sticky and and Doc needs to, I think if he's worth anything, would want to rehabilitate in real time kind of the statements that he had that probably was a huge blow and the timing was terrible. I think y'all talked about this on the show. The timing was just trash between <laughs> losing that game and making the comments that you don't feel like he could be a leader of a championship contending team. And so I, I feel like there needs to be some patchwork done with that. And if, if Doc Rivers is worth anything, he needs to be the person to say if he's not a championship contending then I'll be the one to turn him into that. Then my job is not done. And so maybe I need to go back to the drawing board. Second thing is, you know, Ben Simmons decided to sit out of the Olympics because he said, well, I got some shit to do, clearly. I need to be working on my craft. Mm -hmm. And so you not only do that, you know what I'm saying, because you want to show the other teams that, you know, if y'all want to come get me because they don't like me no more, I'm decent. But you want to show the team in the unit that you with that I'm not the trash that you think I am. You know what I'm saying? So I think I'm going to get better. You know, like the, the need slash desire to rehabilitate some of that and maybe work through some kinks on this offseason, I think is there strong enough to keep them. I don't think it's in their best interest. I just don't necessarily think that they're going to part ways with old boy. I, I'm with you, especially because Doc crashed his value with those statements. Terrible. Which is why you might have to get a nice piece or two and not another all-star piece because of what they've done to his value. So that's that's going to be interesting. I, I like these options. These are good top three destinations for Lonzo Ball. I, look, it's not like he shouldn't stay in, the, in New Orleans, but I would like to see Lonzo in a bigger market. I can say that like with my chest <laughs> but when you start talking about bigger markets there's conversations about you know the pelicans being the team most likely to be relocated so that might be you know we can't undermine or under underscore enough how much that market in and of itself plays into it but i mean the, the market doesn't contribute completely to how a team functions it does have they'll have something to do with it so things to consider yeah we We've seen the Bucks and the Suns small market finals yeah so it can definitely happen it can be built there it's only only time would tell. And any, I mean, I agree though, one thousand percent. Big Brother Ball should probably find another place to to develop and mature some of those skills. Show what show us what he can do somewhere else. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of the show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media. People only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do, but never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So this week, we're going to talk about Bears wide receiver Allen Robertson, 
who recently opened not his first, but his second reading zone in Chicago. They're called the Reach for a Book Reading Zone. There are different boys and girls club locations in the Chicago area. They provide students with e-readers, magazine subscriptions, and hundreds, hundreds of new books. All right, so we got to talk about this. He does this through his organization called the Allen Robinson Foundation. They recently held a charity event. They raised over $50,000. It goes to funding these reading zones. It also provides educational opportunities and resources to low-income students in inner-city Chicago. And this is huge because a lot of these programs rely solely on the generosity of people like Alan Robertson and them using their notoriety and fame and money for a good cause. So he has the Alan Robinson Within a Reach Foundation. And the important thing they want to make sure people understand is that children who do not have access to self-selected books, i.e. like they always going to sign you books in school, but those aren't the things you're interested in. It's about being able to select your own reading material, right? Read at levels nearly 50% below their peers. Hmm. And children who read 15 minutes outside of the classroom are exposed to almost 1 million new words a year. Wow. They then become significantly more likely to be at the top 2% of their classes. So it's crazy to think about it, but literally just giving them the access, a safe place and resources to read things that they find interesting, excels and hugely impacts their success later on in life, their success in school, etc. And, and that's a, that's a really interesting thing because it's, Curriculum isn't really tailored to your interests always, especially when you're younger. We all know standardized testing and they teach the same thing. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of as educators or people who like did school. Like it's really standardized. There's not a lot of especially in inner city school systems. Flexibility. Not everything communicates with you, etc. But the ability to pick your own book and learn while enjoying yourself is huge. So he, and I quote this, he says, I think a lot of the youth is in need of a lot and not just reading, but also a voice. That is the biggest thing for me as a person. Growing up, a lot of people told me my dreams and aspirations weren't realistic. So to be able to be a voice for the kids, somebody that, they can talk to or somebody that can come into a room like this and look up to who has sat in the same seats as them. I think that has the biggest impact. Huge. That's coming. Oh, talk to me. No, I was just saying huge. Like I agree with a 1000%. Like reading does that special or, and giving access to books does that special thing where it does give them access to things that entertain them and keep them 
But when you read, you figure out that you can't have a voice. And sometimes that voice is a spoken voice. And sometimes that voice comes out in your craft, whether it be football or your sport of choice or something else that people think you're not supposed to be able to do. And sometimes it comes out in things like writing. Right. And so I think, you know, mm-hmm. you, you just open up a portal when you give people access to books and when you give kids access to books, you it's kids who will probably never leave Chicago until they're old enough to buy their own plane ticket. You know what I'm saying? Who will never, you know, go a whole lot of places outside of the state of Illinois until, you know, who knows what thing might happen to them. But with books, you can take the journey wherever you want to go. And all of a sudden you're working toward a trip to Egypt. You're working toward a trip to Iceland because you found out Iceland was actually green and Greenland is actually full. Like, like you was like, I read that in a book. I got to go get it for myself. Right. And so I, I love that just because, you know, everything he's saying is facts in terms of just giving access um, to a reality, a portal to a future that, you know, was denied from him, but he didn't take that as good enough. He stayed consistently stayed wedded to his dream and his goal. And he's given the opportunity of that to other kids. I think that's dope. It's, it's, it's amazing because each of these reading zones impacts over 500 students every year. So it was actually a huge impact. And, you know, always here on the fly route, we like to let you know, but wait, there's more. He also then took 25 of these kids from the reading zone, gave them an all expense paid shopping spree to purchase gifts for themselves and their family. But wait, there is more. He then participated in a Bears home team handoff ticket program, which for every single Bears game, he gave six free tickets to them for members of the Boys and Girls Club of Chicago that are members of this reading zone. Like he's been huge in the community, a massive impact. And he talks about this. He's like, I want them to understand this because uh, I'll quote this reading and education wasn't something that I took very seriously early on in my childhood. My senior year, I actually found myself not clearing house eligible, which meant for me that all the scholarships that I had Mm. to play football weren't going to be active. So then I had to buckle down and by that time, it was almost too late. Come on. He credits his grandma for making him buckle down, helping him out, getting his grades back up so he could then get that scholarship to play at Penn State. So he's like, I want to instill this in the youth early. And that's huge because we always know the kids of the future. Yeah. And also, this man's a beast on the field. Yeah. You know, three seasons, 3,000 yards, 17 touchdowns. Okay. Like, man, is crazy. Resign him now. What are yeah. the Bears doing? Yeah. Great in the community, great on the field, worth every penny. Pay the man. You know. Pay the man. You know, your old Bears, be, they be slow to draw sometimes. They be having to figure it out. Like, hopefully, they do the things that keep somebody who is – such a phenomenal player still so early in their career, still making such investments and strides in the community on the community level. Like you just really can't beat that. So many people treat their football careers like a tourism opportunity. You know what I'm saying? I'm here and this is where I'm at and I'm vibing. And I love the city because they buy me drinks at the bar. They show me love when I pull up. I get in here, I get in there. When it come down to, you know what I'm saying? Where the fabric of the community that you're in, what you're really doing, you know, and for, for, for him to come in and slide in the handle that business, I think speaks largely to why he's a character person that you want on that team. And on a team that is, is very much in a transformative kind of developmental, make a decision about what the, what the hell you're trying to do position. Those are the type of people you want to keep around. Facts. Facts. And that was your baller's bouquet. 
it's a it's, it's, it's a playboy affair all right all right that is it for episode 42 first and foremost i gotta give a big thanks to toya g for coming through rocking with me you're an amazing guest you gotta let know gotta let everybody know where they can find you at get some more toya g Hey, if you want to uh, hang out with me, we talk a little sports every now and again because me and my co-host over on the Chop Up Show, y'all see them over there in that corner. Uh, we are definitely big football and basketball fans, but we always also spend time just talking about uh, pop culture, talking about reality, talking about life. We are three millennials who take the perspective uh, of uh, young black folk just who are really connected with what happened, what's happening in the world around them, everything from entertainment to politics to shoot reality, the social issues. We talk about it all. So if y'all want to stay connected to a podcast like that, listen to The Chop Up Show. We are on Spotify and we are on Apple Podcasts. Just look for The Chop Up Show. Look on YouTube. Look on Facebook. We go live every Monday night, 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central. Look on either one of those platforms. You'll catch us live. Subscribe. and You'll never miss a notification about any of that. And if you miss a show, it's all good because you can go back. And just listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, like I said. You know what I'm saying? So we locked in. Uh, the Chop Up Show, Chop Up Show Pod on Twitter. Uh, the Chop Up Show on Instagram. It's a thousand different ways. Y'all can stay connected. You could just use Google and type in the Chop Up Show. You'll see my beautiful face right there, along with the consciously and the political plug, ready to hang out with y'all and talk a little bit about the world around us. So definitely stay plugged in. Facts, facts. We appreciate you. As always, all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Podchaser, wherever you're listening, we always appreciate you. Make sure to subscribe, like the videos you see. All of your engagement means the world to us, and we cannot wait to listen and hear what y'all got to say and give you another episode next week.